You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We've just come through, not just, but a couple of months ago, uh, through chapter 5, and with Nehemiah, it was full of internal strife. And if you'll remember, some were, were uh, loaning money to others, others of the Jews, and rather than uh, show mercy, they were enslaving them. And so Nehemiah has just led them through this series of, of internal strife, and just when he comes through it, and you think, well, maybe it's coming to an end, we come to chapter 6, and the same old enemies, these familiar enemies that have been a thorn in the side of Nehemiah, they show up once again. And they're using even more creative tactics in order to try to stop God's work. Let's look at Nehemiah 6, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in, in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. So if you'll notice as we go through here, they're trying to get the work to stop. They're trying to distract Nehemiah from the work. And I love his answer. He says in verse 3, And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And it says, they sent unto me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. Four different times they try to get Nehemiah to stop the work and come and talk about things. They're trying to distract him, and they have ill intentions. Look at the second tactic here. Verse 5, it says, Then, then sent Sanballat, his servant, Unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu, Gashmu saith it, that, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou feignest them out of thine own heart, for they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So the second tactic is they make false accusations. They're saying, We're going to tell the king that you're not doing things the right way, that you're rebelling against him. That's one way we're going to get the work to stop. Look at verse 10. Afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabel, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced his pro this prophecy against me. For Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. 
Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. And then he prays, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sanballat, according to these their works, and on the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that would have put me in fear. So this tactic was, they said, let's go to the house of God. You'll be protected there. And they, let's meet in God's house. And even then, Nehemiah knew, well, this is a trap. Now, they're not looking to go and worship God. They're looking to trap me. They're looking to, to, to do me harm. Verse 15, so the wall was finished. In the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul, in 50 and 2 days. Wow. That's incredible. 50 and 2 days. It took 50 days. It's all it took for Nehemiah to finish the wall once he started. And it makes me think I know who the president should hire. So, 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. I love it. For, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. So, verse 17, moreover, in those days, they, he, they think, he thinks maybe the tactics are over, but they're still trying. It says, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. For there were many in Judah sworn unto him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Johanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me. And uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. It's a lot there, but there are so many tactics here of the enemies of God trying to stop the work of God. And Nehemiah would be tempted, I think most of us would be tempted just to pack it in at some point. It's like one thing after another, but there's a mindset that Nehemiah has that I think will help us too in order to prevent the stopping of God's work in our own lives. And we're going to look at that as we go. And the title tonight is, it's, it's not very creative, but I think it's good and helpful, is that God has big plans for you. God has big plans. Here's why you shouldn't let the work of God stop. Because God has big plans for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you bless it and help us tonight to have open hearts and ears. And Lord, help us to uh, be receptive to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, through all the trouble and enemy tactics, Nehemiah stands firm. And I believe we have something helpful to learn from him in, in his, the way that he answers his enemies. And, and here's what Nehemiah, I, here, here's really, I think, what led Nehemiah or what gave him the confidence to answer the way he did is that in Nehemiah's mind, it never wavered in his mind that God had big plans for his life. And if you, if you read, and we're going to look at it as we go through, but he could have easily been distracted. He could have easily been discouraged. He could have easily, along the way, been derailed. He, but he remembered through it all that God had something important for him to do. That God had big plans for his life. And guess what? God has big plans for your life. And there's not a person alive that, is surpri- that God is surprised by. He said, oh wait, I need to think about their life. I need to come up with something for them to do because I haven't thought about that yet. No, no, God is so interested in each one of our lives that he has plans for us. And they're good plans. They're great plans. 
You know, Nehemiah here is a man under attack. He's trying to do something big for God. And when you try to do something for God, it's a target. We've talked about that before, how when you try to do something for the Lord, it's like wearing a target and the enemy is coming after you. Think about all that he had faced. He'd faced mockery and he'd faced intimidation. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and Nehemiah too, they laughed him to scorn. They tried to intimidate him. They, 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 they implied that they were... That he was rebelling against King Artaxerxes and they were going to send a letter to the king. You get to Nehemiah 4 and here they are again and Sanballat's mocking him. They have this rally where they all come together. They call him weak. They call him feeble. Tobiah in that rally said, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. They were being ridiculed, trash talked. Later in chapter 4, um, they, they conspired to come against the wall in battle and, and not just to knock the wall down. It says there in chapter 4 that they were coming to slay the Jews. They sent messengers to Nehemiah over and over in order to cause confusion and stop the work. And then we get to chapter 6 and the attack is stronger than ever. They're trying to distract Nehemiah. They're trying to get him away from the work. They, they make false accusations. They, they come in even in the name of, of religion. They said, let us meet up at the temple. They try to turn subtle intimidation uh, into fear with Nehemiah. And you know, as I was reading this, and I, and I hope that you think about these kinds of things while you're reading God's word, is that if you put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of Nehemiah, and you start to think, man, I don't know that I would continue. I mean, I don't know that, that, that I would have the fortitude to keep on moving forward in the work, knowing all that is coming against them. Most men, many men, would probably quit in the face of all the adversity. I know I'd be tempted to quit. And it's not like I've ever faced anything as hard. I've never faced the hardship or persecution to the level of Nehemiah. But it doesn't take much said about you or done to you to feel like you just want to give up and pack it in. You know, there are times when you wonder, is it worth it? And you've been there when things aren't easy. I mean, even when you're trying to do right and you're trying to lead your family and you're trying to walk with God and you're trying to make right decisions and suddenly some hardship comes along or some temptation comes along or a relationship comes along and you just can't get along with somebody and, and you think, man, I've been doing everything I could to do right. And I mean, we had, we're taking prayer requests this morning. I'm thinking about this person has this health need and this person has this health need and this person had this happen to them. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, but they're trying to do right. And they're trying to do right, and they're trying to do right, and, and it just doesn't, sometimes just doesn't seem fair that adversity always comes. I mean, you're trying to do right and do the things that you're supposed to do, and when things turn bad, we have a tendency to be discouraged. And difficulties come, and we have a tendency to want to give in. We, we have our own internal struggles and insecurities and failures to overcome, much less the things that come from Difficult people and difficult circumstances. Listen then, can you imagine then having, here's Nehemiah. And, and he of his own accord, his own, I mean the Holy Spirit prompted him in a way that was, that was significant. But, but he didn't have to volunteer to do this job. He didn't have to go to the king and, and put himself out there and say, I would like to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that are broken down. He didn't have to do that. But now here he is and he's actually having his life threatened. 
I mean, his, his life is at stake. Uh, they're threatening him and, and constantly threatening him. So if the average man may have quit, what was Nehemiah's secret then to staying the course? It's a simple thought tonight. But how do you move forward for God when things are difficult? I mean, how do you put everything bes- uh, uh, beside you or behind you and just keep on going? I mean, every person in here has some trial or some difficulty they're facing. And, and just to know, as your pastor, knowing uh, many of you, the things that you're dealing with and the, the struggles that you have, and, and it is hard. And I'm not saying that, you know, life is just falling apart, but, but sometimes when you're doing right and things don't go well, these thoughts come to your mind. You're thinking, wow, look at the, but the wicked are prospering. And here I am doing right, and, and yet things, aren't going, things are going wrong. So what's the mindset that you need? What's the kind of thing that you need to tell yourself? What's the, as they say today now, what's the self-talk that you need? What, what are the mindsets or the philosophies? Uh, wh- well, I think that there are some things in Nehemiah's answers that can help us. And I think the, the first thing that I notice as we go through here is how he kept his eyes on the task. He kept his eyes on the task. See, the enemies, they came as the work was ending. If you'll notice, look in verse, again in verse 1, it came to pass, they came along, they heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. So if you'll imagine, the, the walls are done uh, and, and all that's left is that he hasn't set the doors. And that's how it works in construction often is the doors are the last things to go in. You know, you do everything else and, and you, when you get everything in the walls and you put up the sheetrock and you do the flooring and you do, I mean, everything else, all the trim, and then you finally hang the doors. It's the same here in this construction process. He's almost done, very close to being done. And and, and, and done in record time. I mean, and this is almost miraculous when you think about that the, this wall set unprote- unprotected for years and years and years, and now it's repaired in 52 days. I mean, all Nehemiah had to do at this point was hang the doors on the gates. He's in the finishing stages here. And this is really how it goes. See, just when you think you're in the clear, the light's at the end of the tunnel, and the barn is in sight, and you think you've made it home, sometimes that's when things tend to fall apart. You know, when, just when you're coming to the end of it, and you think, okay, now I can relax. Now things are smooth. I've just got a little ways to go, and I'm almost to the end. I was uh, watching a, a race, a track race, and, and I think it was a 400-meter or an 800-meter race. And, and toward the end of this race, this guy, he was way out in the lead, and he started to slow down and almost raise his arms in victory, not realizing that somebody else had got a second wind. And they passed him right at the finish line and won the race. And I'm thinking, you know, that's probably a pretty good analogy for the way that we live our lives sometimes. When we're coming to the end of something, we kind of relax a little bit and think, okay, now things are going to go well. And now this is, I'm coming to the end and everything's going to come together and I can settle down and relax just a little bit. Um, but then at the end, it seems like that's when the attack comes for, for Nehemiah. Uh, have you ever been putting, this happens to me all the time, where I'm putting something, I take something apart 
or I'm putting something back together or maybe at Christmas, you know, my children uh, will get a present and inevitably it has to be put together. And so you're up until like 2.30 in the morning and Merry Christmas to you, mom and dad. You're up all night putting toys together for the kids and then they're up at like six o'clock wanting to open presents. You know how it goes, but have you ever done this before where you're putting something together and you get down to the very end of it and you're like, yes, I'm almost done. And then you look over here and underneath this box or wrapping paper is, is a very important piece that you should have included and it should have been put in at the very beginning, but now you're all the way at the end and you've got to take it all apart again. It happened a couple of weeks ago when we were, we were taking Olivia to college and and uh, they have to have a mattress cover for their bed. And she, you know, she's a freshman. And so um, she got into her room and she was thinking the whole time she had this, this pie in the sky dream that, you know, I'm going to get a bottom bunk. I really want a bottom bunk. Well, when you're a freshman, you don't get a, you don't get a bottom bunk. I mean, you're like the low man on the totem pole, which means you're, you get to be up high. You get to be on the top bunk. She walks in the room and, and her roommates uh, were friends. And so one roommate was there already. And this roommate had put her friend's stuff on the other bed because that's what happens when you're the upperclassman. You get the best beds. So she gets the top bunk and, and we were loading things taken into her dorm. And, and you know, when you make a bed, on the, there's nothing more frustrating than making a top bunk if you're trying to make the bed. So, you know, it took, I think, four of us where we, we ended up taking the mattress off the bunk, making it and then putting it back up there and saying, well, that was way easier. So we got our bed all made and everything situated. And we're like, OK, finally, that took forever. And then we looked down and realized we never put the mattress cover on the on the mattress. You've done that before, you know, so you take it all down, do it all again takes four or five of you to put the mattress cover on, remake the bed, put it up there. You know, that's how it goes sometimes. You're coming down to the end and you think, okay, things are going to get better. And just when you think things are coming together, here's where the enemy comes. That's when Nehemiah gets attacked. God's enemies, they came as he was finishing. And it's a good lesson to remind us that we can't be comfortable serving the Lord. And by that, I mean, don't ever get to the place where you think, I've been saved for 40 years. I've been doing this a long time now. I can relax a little bit. No, I think that's when the attack comes. It's, it's like the, uh, you know, the devil, um, as a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, and he is not looking for the ones at the front of the pack with the energy and are doing all they can. He's looking for the ones lagging behind. And he's just on the lookout and he's looking for those that have let down their guard a little bit. That's how he works. The enemy comes when we think we're in the clear and when we least expect it. So don't assume that just because you've made some progress that you can relax. The work of God is never done in your life. And Satan is never done attacking. So circumstances could change in an instant at any instant. And the enemy, they, they come and they try to distract Nehemiah from the work. And they come and they, they basically come and they say, okay, they, Nehemiah, hey, hey, listen, we just want to talk a little bit. Hey, why don't you come down uh, and meet with us? And, and we want to just visit with you just a little bit. And, and they're just trying to, they're trying to distract him from the work and they mean to do him harm. There's so many lessons here and I'm not going to get all of them, but there, there's so little time. This is how Satan works with us. Yeah, he wants to get us away from our accountability and our routine and get us to do something that we would never do on a normal basis. 
He wants us to put things down. He wants us to take our tools that we're, do, that we're using to live our daily lives. He wants us to take, like, for instance, you know, this is a tool that we need every day. What he wants us to do is he wants us to set it down and come down and meet with him in a play, in an, in, and do something we wouldn't do on a normal basis. Get us out of our routine, get us away from accountability, get us away from our responsibility. And that's where he attacks us. And I love the way that Nehemiah, he's not falling for this. And it's a good play on words. The enemy comes and says, hey, let's go down to one of the villages in Ono. And, and Nehemiah says, oh, no, oh, um, no, I'm not coming with you. Nehemiah's focus is on his task. And, and you know, here's, it's just great. It's, his mentality means that the answer is already there. Like, he doesn't have to think about this. Look what he says in verse 3. And I sent messengers into them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? So think about how much he's focusing on the work based on what he says. He says, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing an important job. Why would I put off all that I'm doing for God just to come and talk to you? When you're not going to help me at all, you're not in this for my best interest. I don't have time to be distracted. This is way more important. What I'm doing is far more important than what you want me to do. And they come back four times in the same way. And his answer has already been made. His answer is already decided. There's no temptation to come with them because the work is too great to set down. You know, life gets easier when questions are already answered. You know, for instance, you know, one question uh, that, that, should, that your children, parents, should never have to ask you is, are we going to church today? My, my kids have never asked me that. I'm, well, during quarantine, maybe they did. <laughs> Careful of use, the use of the word never and always. It always, always comes back to bite you. My kids, they don't ask that, though, because they know on Sunday mornings, it doesn't matter what else is going on. Our family goes to church. Like, that question was answered when we got married. Far, far before any of our children ever came along, the question of church was already answered. And so, when it, it's so in the middle of it, when you're emotional and you're tired and you maybe don't feel like it, on a day, which by the way, even as the pastor, there's some Sundays I come and, and I don't necessarily always feel like it. And you say, well, I, I need to find a new church if that's really how you, I'm, so, I'm just, I'm human. You know, there's some days I just don't feel like it either. But the question was answered so long ago in my history that I don't even have to ask it. My whole life, that question's been answered. Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, special services, visitation, whatever it was, youth rallies. I mean, there was never a question in our home. The question was answered early. Are we going to church? Why even ask that question? I mean, there are some questions. What are we doing Wednesday night? That's a question that should already be answered. Can, or, you know, when our children come, can I watch this or listen to that? That's a question that should be answered. Those are things that should be decided in your home already, parents. And it's good for us to have some things that are already answered and you don't have to think about them when you don't feel like it because there's going to be a time come that you don't feel like it enough 
that when you ask the question, you're going to give the wrong answer and you're making, going to make a bad choice. When our, our kids are older too, um, for a, a year, a couple of years ago, we sent them to a little country school in our, in, in our area there and just a small school, but it was a, it was a public school nonetheless. And f- just for one year, we wanted them to go and wanted to walk them through some of those things. And they, and you know, they went and every day, um, they, they would have things and they'd come back and ask questions. But, but before we sent them, we sat them down and we said, okay, uh, here's the scenario. Somebody comes along and they say this to you or they ask you this question. What's your answer? And we practice those things. You know, our girls and our, you know, our girls wear, uh, they wear dresses every day. They wear, wear skirts and dresses to school every day. And I'm telling you, at, in, in public school, they stand out. And so we sat, as a, as a family, we sat and talked about it and said, okay, here's why we do that as a family. And listen, I'm not judging if somebody doesn't wear skirts all the time, ladies. And, and I'm not saying it's a matter of spirituality or not. For our family, it's a standard that we've decided. And here's the answer. Here's the answer. So when somebody comes and asks you, here's what you tell them. And a, f- a couple of weeks later, they were sitting in class and somebody asked them, you know, why do you wear a skirt to school every day? Which, by the way, I mean, that was a pretty normal dress a few decades ago at school. And why do you wear skirts every day? And another kid in the class answered the question in an extremely biblical and accurate way and expressed the philosophy that our family has about it in class, one lost kid to another because they had already given the answer and it had gone around the school. Well, here's why they do it. And everyone was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, I'm just thinking when you, when you take the time to answer questions as a family, then when the question comes up, you don't even have to think about it. It's already answered. And it's a good, it's a good lesson from Nehemiah because in the face of adversity, there will be some questions that come along at the wrong time. And if you don't have an answer, you might find yourself in some trouble. So then the enemies come and they try to go the false accusation route and they say, we're going to make this up and we're going to tell the king that you're rebelling. And, and, and they say, come down, let us talk about this because we don't really want to do this. We want to just talk about it. They're saying literally, we're going to tell people you're rebelling, but why don't you come down and talk with us about it? And they're not interested in the conversation. I mean, they're, they're just trying to get the work to stop. They're trying to distract Nehemiah and do whatever he can, whatever they can to, to get him riled up or, or to, get him, to get him to come down. You know what I would have done, though, if I heard that my enemies were saying that, that I am rebelling and that my motives aren't right and I'm not doing something I should. You know what I would have done? I would have set my hammer down and I would have come down the ladder and I would have gone to find him and say, now, listen, no, that's not true. Here, here's what's really happening. You guys aren't, you're not telling the truth here. But Nehemiah didn't even do that. Nehemiah, in his mind, he was thinking, you know what? It's not even worth answering their accusations. Amen. And there are going to be some times when you're accused of something and you really want to defend yourself and you want to go say something and set the record straight. But you know, the Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. In the end, God will fix that much better than you can. Nehemiah viewed the work as so big, he wasn't, listen, he wasn't even concerned about clearing his own name. He wasn't even worried about it. He was like, no, I've got a job to do. I have a task to do. I'm going to let God deal with those people. 
So his response, all he says in verse 8 basically is, you're a liar and it doesn't matter what you say. Not a bad answer, actually. So here he comes and he's basically just so focused on his task that, that all of these people that are coming along trying to accuse him, trying to distract him, they're trying to get him to stop the work, but he's so focused on the work, he's not going to get lost in the small details. Listen, uh, uh, there is a lot of fear. And Nehemiah deals with this in verse 9. He says, For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it may not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah, there's a lot of fear. He knows. I mean, they're, they're, people are afraid. And yes, they're still working and they're trying to hang the doors and they're trying to finish it up. But there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of fear on every side right now, isn't there? There's a lot of fear. And honestly, there's fear on both sides. There's fear in both extremes. Um, What I would say the two extremes right now are you've got those that are afraid of the virus and you've got those that are afraid of the government. Those that don't want to get sick and those that don't want to give up any control to the government. And listen, fear's not right on either, in either case. We've got to be mindful that fear shouldn't drive us. I don't want to give up control to the government. But if I'm so afraid of giving up control to the government that it starts driving my life, I'm not living in the fear of the Lord. It's the same on both sides. We can't get to the place where fear is driving what we do. The work is what should drive us. The, the work is what should motivate us. The work is bigger than distraction. The work is bigger than fear. And God is bigger than our enemies. So just keep doing the work. Well, don't give it up to, you know, to get distracted with these things that are happening. I mean, it's easy, isn't it? It's so easy to get distracted these days. So then we have the third tactic here. And the enemy comes and they do this in the name of, the relig- of religion. This is interesting. Verse 10, afterward, I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Mehetabiel, who was shut up. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. So he comes and he says, let's meet in the temple. You'll be protected there. And we don't know Shemaiah's situation, but verse 10 says he was shut up. Okay, and that's so... That means he was restrained. It means he was likely detained. And it's unclear why. Maybe, uh, maybe it was due to his health. Maybe it was due to crime. Either way, um, he's in a 14-day quarantine and he can't go anywhere. So, so Shemaiah proposes that Nehemiah goes to the temple. And he says, listen, let's go to the temple. Let's shut the doors. Let's lock the doors. And we'll be safe there. The enemies won't come. And I love Nehemiah's answer. Everybody, look at verse 11, Nehemiah's answer. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. So you could look at this in the wrong way and say, Nehemiah is being prideful. You could say, Nehemiah is saying, do you know who I am? But I don't think that's it at all. I don't believe that he, that's what he's thinking or saying. I believe his answer here is connected once again to the greatness of his task. He's in the position of a leadership. Listen, everybody's looking up to him. And if a person in Nehemiah's position is going to flee into the temple and lock himself behind the doors of the temple and be a coward, 
to hide from his enemies, what do you think that's going to do to everybody else doing the work? They're going to follow his lead. And he's saying, if I, as the leader, if I am a coward, what will that do to the people? His answer is so emphatic. He says, I will not go in. Again, why? Well, because the work is so important. God's city walls protecting God's house. That's what matters more than anything else. And he, he has the right idea. Shemaiah is hired by the enemy to make him afraid and bring a reproach. So he passes that one. And then he comes and he prays to the Lord. And I love the way that he does that. We're not going to focus on it. But the fact that in every time he has, he's in trouble, every time he has a need, he goes to the Lord. And we ought to remember that. I mean, there's a, the task is great. And honestly, it's way too big for us. The work God has called us to do is far beyond our capacity. It is. We need to daily depend on God for his help. Verse 15 says, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elo, in 50 and 2 days. 52 days. Can you imagine that? I mean, a lot of people, and if you'll read it, they try to explain this away as an error. Josephus, who's a respected historian, uh, he claims it, it, this was a mistake in the Bible. He claims it took over two years. But if, but if the Bible says it, then I believe it. Okay, it says 52 days. There's no reason for us to think it was impossible. It was incredible, but it was doable. Think about it. Uh, as far as I understand, the, the city of Jerusalem had about two and a half miles of walls around it. And, and we, don't, we, we, we don't have any reason to believe that the wall was completely flat. Um, there were probably parts of the wall that were still standing and just needed to be repaired. About two and a half wall, uh, miles of walls. And they had all the materials they needed. Remember, Nehemiah brought it with him when he came. So they've got all the materials. They've got just two and a half miles of wall. And they've got no less than 37 crews working on it all at the same time. So, I, I mean, it seems like that's not out of the question that they would be able to do it. I'm not saying God didn't have a hand in it, but I am saying um, that it was, it, it was doable, is what I'm saying. I do believe that God obviously has a hand in it, but here they are. But think about it, there's still a lot working against them. A, a cupbearer was leading the project. I mean, he's not a foreman. He's not, he, he doesn't have experience. I mean, laymen were doing the work, and I doubt most of them had built a wall before. And, and by the way, they, weren't, they, were, they were searching. Um, the, their end game was function over form, I'm pretty sure. 52 days, they probably weren't adding a lot of ornate details into the wall. They were just trying to get a wall up. But, you know, there's a layman, and, and, and he is, he's leading the work, and there's a, a, there's a cupbearer, and they're laymen, and they're doing the work. And the whole time, the enemies are persecuting them. They have to build and, on one hand and fight on the other. They're holding a sword. They're holding a trowel. And they had not only that, but they've got infighting. They're not all getting along. And still, in spite of all that, it only took them 52 days. It was against all odds. And I love the testimony in verse 16. It says, it came to pass when all, that when all our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, this is awesome, they were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Man, what a testimony. That word wrought means accomplished or produced. And when we do things God's way, more gets done and he gets credit for it. You can't beat that. 
God's word done, God's work done God's way gets done in God's time for God's glory. Yeah, I worked on that for a long time. Even the enemies knew this was special, though. They looked and they perceived this was a work wrought by God, of our God. They didn't like it, but they knew God was involved. In the last three verses, the Tobiah comes again. He's trying to intimidate. But what's our takeaway here? We're not going to get into those verses. Well, our t- our, the takeaway, the doctrinal takeaway is this, that only God, there are some things only God can do. There are some things that only God can do. And this is a testament to something only God can do. But what does that mean for us? Well, let me give you some practical things. Keep your, here's what it means for us. Keep your eyes on the task God has for you. See, why? Well, because God has a big task for you. God has a big plan for you. And so what's your task? Well, in what ways do you believe God wants you to make your greatest difference? I want you to think about this tonight. What are the, what, in what ways do you believe that God has designed you and equipped you to make your biggest difference? And maybe you've never thought of it that way and you're not really interested in thinking about it that way, but why not? I mean, do you, think, do you honestly think that, that, that God doesn't really have anything big for your life? I mean, do you, do you really think that, yeah, God has something big for everybody else, but he's not really interested in me doing something big. Why don't we take a step outside of ourselves and think God might want to use us in a way bigger than we ever thought he could? You know, and I look around the room and I, I see these young, these young boys in this room and, and some of our young people. I'm thinking, man, I mean, there's a future preacher right there. God might want to use them. Uh, I mean, not, I mean, not saying anything else is less than, um, but we, do we or do we not need some men that'll stand behind a pulpit with a Bible or stand in the streets with a Bible and proclaim God's word? Absolutely we do. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all if God wanted my son to be a preacher. I mean, right now he's well on his way. He's fast asleep listening to his dad's message, so... I hope when he becomes a preacher, everybody falls asleep every time. (laughs) There's some people in here, young people in here, or maybe even not so young people, and God wants you to be a missionary or a church planner. And you say, but, you know, I've got my job and I've got my house and I've got these things that I'm doing and this is my world and this is my box and I'm not sure... You know, God wants me to step outside that box. Why not? Are you sure that God doesn't want to do something bigger with your life than you're doing? And I'm not saying what you're doing is not big. I'm just saying we should never get to the place where we limit God just because we're comfortable. Because I I have no doubt, and and it hasn't happened much, um, at least since I've been here, but I'd love it if God would call some people from Eastside Baptist Church. And listen, I wouldn't even mind losing some of our best families if it meant they were going to go out and they were going to do the work somewhere. Because I believe God will replace them with others, but I'd love to see Eastside reproducing itself. Maybe full-time ministry. We've got some young people in here and you think, well, you know, I'm just planning to get a job after high school and I'll just work a job and just, you know, see what happens. Well, why don't you give God the chance to work in your life for a year and go to Bible college and see what he does? 
know, look outside of the box that you're in. And, and maybe you think, well, you know, I, I don't really have much to offer, but I could be a faithful church member. Well, then do that. Don't assume that God doesn't have a big plan for you just because he hasn't made something else clear. Do all you can while you can and let God bring something else along in his time. It's okay. But don't assume that God is limited just simply because of your, per, your present experiences. I mean, what about in, in soul winning and reaching other people? And I was telling our Sunday school class uh, today, I, I, sta- I stalked that track rack right out there it was been months ago that i did and i haven't had to do it since so who's taking tracks and who's inviting people to Eastside baptist church if if those aren't being refilled then we're not doing it well maybe then it's time to think okay i've been comfortable but now it's time to take a step outside of myself and think god might use me maybe to reach somebody he said i've never been comfortable talking to somebody or sharing the gospel but if that's what he wants which he does by the way it's a command to his new testament church of which you're a part he wants you to go into the world and teach and preach the gospel and give the gospel to people that you've never even met that may be his plan for you. And you say, I could never do that. I'm just not comfortable. Well, maybe God has bigger plans for your life than you think he does. Maybe it's about discipling somebody. When's the last time you reproduced yourself in another person? And when's the last time, I mean, who can you look around the room and say, they're here because of me, or they're where they are because I invested in them, and I, and, and I helped and mentor them, and I, and, I, and I gave myself to them, and, and really helped them along, and now look where they are. It's, a, it's amazing when that happens, but who's here because of you? I, I don't know that God would ever allow Esai to reproduce herself on a large scale, if the families of Eastside Baptist Church aren't reproducing themselves on a small scale. Maybe it's, you know, teaching a class or being involved, you know, just talking to uh, people, ministry leaders at East, you know, here at Eastside, and sometimes it's like, I just can't find anybody to do this or help here. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I know that this person doesn't have a weekly ministry or this person doesn't have a weekly responsibility. And what, why is it hard well, maybe it's not a matter of rebellion. Maybe it's just a matter of us having smaller visions for ourselves and our lives than what God has for our lives. Maybe we've convinced ourselves that we're to be down here, but God wants us to be up here. Maybe it's time to step outside of our box and, and say even, if it's say, even if all we do is say, well, God wants me just to reach one person. And I'm telling you, if that's all any of us sought to do, it wouldn't take long, and we would, we'd have to go to two services in this place. If you just decided, no, listen, I have limited God's working through me because I have, I have dreamed pretty small for myself. God has something great for your life. God has big plans for your life, and I'm not trying to be Joel Osteen. I mean, don't, why let Joel Osteen... And those guys steal the truth of God's word. Nehemiah says, no, there's a task that's far too big for me to be distracted. And I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do because he has a big plan for me. That's how God works. He always sees something for us bigger than we see for ourselves. Here's the problem, though. We can take our cues from this passage. Here's our problem. We get distracted. 
Like the enemies, they come and say, come down and come talk to us. It's easy to get distracted rather than focus on the task at hand. We let the peripherals, they pull us away from the things that matter the most. There are a few things in your life that matter the most. And I would venture to say that many of us spend the vast majority of our time on things that don't matter the most. Brother Wade and I were talking about that on the way out the door this morning. And he was saying, it's just about choosing. He said, but... But it's so easy to use excuses because we all have all of these things and we're all so busy and there's all these things pulling at us from different, all these different directions. And we're like, but I can't choose. But in the end or at the beginning, very likely you're the one that chose to have all those distractions in your life. So the truth is, it is a matter of choice. And yet it does feel like we're pulled apart in a thousand different directions. But we, at the beginning, made the choice to allow those things to pull us in those directions. So rather than focus on something significant, we're distracted by something small. And it happens in ministry. We have a big task. We have an important task that we're supposed to teach and lead and reach. And we sing and we help. And we have weak responsibilities and important matters to attend to. But we sit down to study And the internet is there and we find ourselves surfing. Or we have a hobby that we get caught up in and we we start to miss more than we should because we're busy and distracted. So distracted that the big job God has for us gets left undone. Just like Nehemiah then, he could have gotten caught up in in protecting his name and said, no, that's not what's happening. He could have dropped his hammer, come down from the ladder and said, no, that's not happening. You're falsely accusing me, uh, but he let God take care of it. But we're often not as good at taking, letting God take care of those things. And rather than just staying on task, we're not good at letting things go. Rather than just, you know what, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. This is the task I know I'm supposed to do. But we let what somebody else says bring us down. Or we let a comment bring us down. Or we let someone's spirit or attitude bring us down. I mean, we're serving, we're doing our best. But somebody says something that bothers us and we can't let it go. Or someone does something we disagree with and we're just not happy about it. Or somebody makes an accusation or even just an observation. And boy, it really upsets us. And we get mad or angry or bitter and we can't let it go. We get into self-preservation mode. But there's still a task at hand that we've set aside to chase something small. Or maybe we mistake religious activity for God's work. You know, Shemaiah says, let's meet in God's house. Do you realize God, Nehemiah could have been in God's house, but not been in God's will? He could have gone to God's house, but it would not have been God's plan for his life. Now listen, I'm not saying God's house is not God's plan for your life. That would be fairly counterproductive for a pastor to say that. But I do believe it's possible to be in God's house every time the doors are open, but not be in God's will. I believe it's possible to be busy with God's work, but not be truly focused on the task. And just because you're here doesn't mean you're fulfilling his purpose for your life. You can be here every every week and be far from God. Being religious, it doesn't mean you're doing the big work God has for you. Don't let religious activity replace whatever it is God's task is for your life. So how do we avoid missing out on God's big tasks? Due to distraction or self-preservation or 
religious activity. Well, do what Nehemiah did and focus. You know, nothing is more important for you than the job God has for you. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. These were, they're focused. We can only have one most important priority. I preached this at the beginning of the year. Our priority should be pleasing God. That's our biggest task. And, And we must get to the place that his desire for our lives is bigger than our desire for our lives. His plans are bigger than our plans. His tasks are more significant than our dreams. Listen, your greatest fulfillment is found in God's plan for your life. Your greatest satisfaction will be in you meeting his expectations for you. Stop trying to figure out what you want to be happy or what you think will bring contentment. You will never find it on your own. Attach yourself to what God wants and that's where you'll find joy and meaning. So you might say, how? I have so many limitations. I've tried and I have always failed. Well, here's the last thing to remember. If God has a task for you, God is bigger than the task. If God has a task for you, God is bigger than the task. Think about what God took Nehemiah from and what he allowed him to do. He took him from a cupbearer to a wall builder and a general. He went from nervous just to talk to the king to boldness facing God's enemies. He was transformed from someone in the background to someone out front. How? Well, because he never lost sight of the importance of the task. And then God, because of that, God enabled him to do all of it. See, I believe that because Nehemiah remained committed to his calling, that God allowed him to do a great work in a little time. And I wonder if we would be as committed to our tasks, if God would allow us to see something happen here that only God could do. See, we get this thought in our minds that this task is too big. I can't do it. But God is bigger than the task. Meaning there's nothing he asks you to do that he can't help you do. I mean, there are things that you don't feel comfortable doing that you, maybe you think God would have you do it. Maybe teaching a class. You say, well, I just can't stand in front of people and do that. Hey, if God has called you to the task and you commit to the task, he'll enable you for the task. Whom God calls, he enables. I mean, I remember the first time I stood up to preach as a teenager. I mean, the, my first few times were in a nursing home, and there's not, there wasn't much pressure there. I'm not sure any, anybody was listening to me. But I remember the first time I got up in church, I, I got up and I opened God's word. And I was an older teenager probably. I opened God's word and I looked out at the people in the congregation. And I might literally, my thought was, run away. <laughs> Swim away. I wanted to run out the back door. And now look what God lets me do. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think that God could take me from where I was to where I am. It, but that's just a sign that there are some things that God, only God can do that. <laughs> I mean, if God calls you to something, he'll enable you to do it. Stop limiting God based on your own limitations. He can come in and he can wipe away all the limitations to do something greater with you than you ever thought he could. 
And I don't just listen. I don't just want to stay on task. I want to see it done. And if that describes you, I think there are two things to learn from all of this, okay? Number one, believe that your calling from God is great. But number two, believe that God is greater than your calling. Believe that your calling from God is great. But number two, believe that your God is greater than your calling. And if you'll buy into those two truths, folks, I believe you're going to put yourself in the best position to see God do everything he wants to with your life. And I also believe buying into those truths as a church family will allow us to see all of God's work accomplished in this place. Eastside Baptist Church, we know God's will for us as a church. It's laid out in the New Testament. It's about the Great Commission. It's about missions. It's about preaching. It's about teaching. It's about discipleship. It's about unity. It's about truth. These are things, these things are laid out. But I believe the only reason we won't see God's blessings is if we lose sight of the task and we chase lesser things. Let's determine that our calling as a church is great. And even if it seems impossible, God is greater than our calling. I'd love it if someday people look at Eastside Baptist Church and they perceive that this work was wrought of our God, not us. That's a label I could live with. Is when people drive by and they see the lives change and they see the uh, the difference made in people's lives and they see people transformed and they see, I'm not just talking about numbers, I'm talking about change. If they look at Eastside Baptist Church someday and they say, you know what, what happened there at Eastside in the last few years, that's something only God could have done. That's something that was wrought or produced or accomplished of God. He's the only one that could have done what happened there at Eastside Baptist Church. That's a label I could deal with. And I believe in your life and as a church, we'll get there if we believe our calling from God is great and that we believe, though, too, that God is greater than our calling. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.